want to continue in our study of this uh, fantastic uh, passage of Scripture that has really been just, uh, man, it's been powerful in my own life, and I want to continue studying that with you. Revelation chapter 1, and I want to read verse 1, but we're just going to kind of look at the first few statements again in uh, chapter 1, verse 1. So we're kind of working our way through this opening statement. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 reads like this. I'm reading out of the NIV. This is how it reads. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Uh, and that's really not even the first verse, but that's the first uh, opening sentence. And of course, last night we looked at uh, the first statement that John makes that, uh, of course, he's talking about uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you break down the book of Revelation, you understand that really the first three verses is not part of the revelation proper. I guess that's the way we've been talking about it. The actual revelation begins really at verse 4 in the introduction. The first three verses is kind of a tack on by John to give you parameters on how to receive the book. Okay, it's to put boundaries on how to receive this book. And I think, uh, to be quite honest with you, uh, that I think knowing that this is a prophecy, John understood the dangers and the uh, distractions that's associated with prophecy. Okay, it's really easy to get carried away. Uh, and, and certainly in our culture today and probably uh, even um, in the ages past, the book of Revelation um, has been treated in a manner that is not really befitting of the book itself. Uh, it's really not approached in the way perhaps that John would like us to approach it. So he, he again, this book is a prophecy, but, Jesus, uh, but John, as he's describing this book, as he looks at the prophecy as a whole, setting it out from him, he talks about this prophecy as a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, again, the book of Revelation gets its name from that first word in the entire book. It's the Greek word word that we translate revelation. It's apocalypsis. But it can also be translated unveiling. So this is the revelation or the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So this prophecy that John has been given to present, he, he looks at it, stands back and looks at it, and refers to it as the unveiling of Jesus Christ. That's what the prophecy is. Okay? So really, the book should be understood as a prophecy, but is a prophecy about the unveiling of Jesus Christ. The whole book is about the unveiling of the person of Jesus, which again, as we begin to look at, was powerful. And you begin to move through, uh, you begin to remove, uh, move through the book, you begin to find that every time Jesus is presented, uh, and that's a pretty strong statement, so I don't know if I would say every single time, but the majority of the time when Jesus is presented, he's not just referred to as Jesus. He's always referred to as the Lamb. He's always referred to as, you know, the Son of David. He's always referred to in a way that is unveiling the person of who he is. Now, we begin to look at this last night, just to refresh your memory. Um, John is on the island of Patmos in chapter 1, and uh, he's in a just a really difficult situation. And, uh, uh, of course, he hears this voice from behind him when he, on the Lord's day as he's in the spirit. And it says, write on a scroll what you see and uh, send it to the seven churches. And then he lists those seven churches. So he turns around to see the one who's speaking to him. And it just doesn't say there's Jesus. He lists there is this unveiling of Jesus. It's the, it's the opening up. It's the insides of Jesus that are on display for John to see. So you, get, you have content to Jesus as he is revealed to the person, which is powerful. You understand, because it tells see, that tells us this opening statement that Jesus is the answer to what John is going through. See, he is the answer. Um, really find it interesting in, in healing services. Uh, see, uh, when we pray for healing, those kinds of things. Uh, you go through the I, I, I went through the New Testament and and really struggled with healing. Asking, asking some very difficult questions. Questions perhaps that maybe some don't wrestle with. Why does God heal some and why doesn't he heal others? You know, those are really difficult questions. My father died um, a few years ago. And uh, I remember being at Olivet. And uh, I remember struggling with praying for my father's healing. You know? Uh, and I came across the question, what if God didn't want to heal him for his own purposes? See, what if his plan dictated that he shouldn't be healed? Would I accept that? Would I trust him? You understand? 
And so you understand even prayer comes back to the person as he is, he is unveiled in the midst of that circumstance of whatever we're going through. And he, see, he is the one with the plan. He is the one with the direction. He is the one we put our, we trust him. See, that's the idea. And in, in, in how that relates is in the first chapter, see, John is not given the answer to when or why or how or any of those kinds of statements. Jesus just, just plops down right in the middle of his circumstance. He is unveiled and he says, focus on me. Wherever I go, I will lead you to the place that I want you. And that's the place where you have to be. Okay. So the whole book of Revelation, Jesus himself is the answer. I'm finding that he does not give us an answer apart from himself. Now, in relation to healing, that would be, well, uh, should I pray for healing? Well, when I pray for healing, if you want me to be healed, heal me. If not, I trust you. Okay. Which is easy to say. uh, Difficult to trust. See, if it's not your will, I trust you. You know, if this is not your way, hey, I trust you. If it is your way, I trust you. See, the circumstance in my life revolves around the person. It's an absolute focus on the person. John, in our first chapter, is focusing on the person, okay? Now, you, don't even, you not only see that in the first chapter, but you see that in chapters 2 and 3 as well. They've got these uh, uh, seven churches with these difficult circumstances in which they're in, and Jesus is revealed to each and every one of those churches, and the way in which he re- is revealed to those churches is the answer for those churches, Okay, when he has to uh, give a sharp rebuke to the church, of course, which is the uh, church of Pergamum, he is revealed as the one who has the sharp double-edged sword, which is really interesting. Um, When, of course, uh, he is uh, looking at the church of Smyrna, who's under great persecution, he encourages them by saying, hey, I'm the one who's the first and the last who died, but hey, came to life again. So you don't need to fear death, you need to fear the second death. So his very person, as he is presented to the church, he is the answer. If that church would just absolutely focus on him. See, the, the, the crux of the matter in Christianity is the person. I trust you. I may not understand the circumstances, and I don't know how you are, but I find that I don't understand hardly anything. <laughs> okay? I am over my head in most of the things that I'm involved in. But see, I focus on the person because he knows more than I know. And if I just stick with him, I'm going to turn out on the other side with him. Okay? So the book of Revelation is not just secret information that's given. It's not a timeline to figure out when he's going to come back. See, it's the same old, same old message that there are going to be a number of things that are going to be presented here, some of which we might never understand. I truly believe that. Okay? Some of these things we might not fully grasp, which is the same with almost all prophecy. Prophecy is almost recognized after the fact. So the details of what takes place we might not know, but the, the, the sole point of what John is getting at when he, when he is presenting the book of Revelation, and the way that I look at this personally as a side note, is Jesus, uh, uh, after giving this revelation to John, he probably reads it, he engages with it, he's, he's got this thing written down, he probably sits back and look at, looks at this thing and says, you know, it's really confusing, but I want them to focus on one thing. That this whole prophecy, whether you understand the details, times, dates, what's taking place or not, the whole thing is about the unveiling of the person. Okay? That's the statement of the book of Revelation. That's what the whole thing is about. It's the unveiling of the person. Okay? That's what we looked at last night, which was great. Tonight, I want to look with you at, the, at really the next statement. Uh, it says that, of course, the revelation of Jesus Christ, but then he tacks on which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. I really was intrigued uh, with the idea of, uh, of the statement, which God gave him. Okay? The, first, the first statement he makes is that the book of Revelation, which is the prophecy, okay, it's a prophecy that's given by John, is the revelation or the unveiling of the person. But then he adds to that statement, giving content to, hey, it's the revelation of the person which God gave him. So in other words, everything that's unveiled in Jesus is that which God gave him, okay? If you were to slice Jesus down the middle and you were to open him up, everything you would find inside is that which God gave him, okay? Now again, I don't know, um, I don't know uh, what language you would use to describe this, but for me, it's, uh, it's identity language. Um, I'm, really, I'm really strong on this. On terms of Jeremiah Bullock, I want my identity to be that which God gives me. Okay? I want my identity to be found in him. And you can have your identity found in everything. 
See, I'm finding that you can be, you can be a minister and not have your identity found in him. See, I can have my identity found in preaching. In other words, everyone who knows me would say, oh, Jeremiah Bullock, yeah, he's an evangelist. Well, that's not bad, but you understand my identity, the core of who I am, how I'm known, how I, how I perceive myself is I am not an evangelist. I mean, I'm an evangelist, but that's not my identity. Okay? My identity is that I belong to him and that wherever he's going, I go. And where he happens to be going is evangelism. And I probably will be doing that till I'm, you know, 95, 100. But the idea is, is that that's not my identity. My identity is the person. In other words, I could stop and be an evangelist and my identity wouldn't change. Does that make sense? And one of the things I, I try to convince people, and I probably shouldn't talk about this too much, um, I really don't have a job, okay? Which is wonderful, okay? I feel sorry for those of you who work, but um, see, uh, my... I would study the word like this, even if I wasn't an evangelist. See, uh, my, my interpretation of an evangelist is I get to study the word all day long and then share with you my devotions. And I get paid for that. Okay? Yeah, I know, that's wonderful. It's breathtaking almost. Uh, that's my identity, So whether I, which is him and getting to know him and his word. See, whether I was an evangelist, whether I was a pastor, see, whatever, hey, whatever you would come back to, whatever I was, if I was a construction worker, if I was whatever, see, I would, my identity is him and in the word and the person, okay? So in other words, I don't study the word because I'm an evangelist. I don't get into the word because I have to preach during the week. I get into the word to get to know the person. Do you see how slippery that can become? See, there's an identity issue that's here. That's absolute. It's not like Jesus filled in his shoes. Well, he had, to become, he had to come down and do this Christ thing, and that was, see, you need to understand, when Jesus is unveiled, his identity is that which God gave him. Because one of the things I begin to find is you can have certain roles, you can have certain jobs, uh, and you can, get, you can get confused in terms of your job versus your identity, okay? Um, let me give you an example of this in terms of basketball. I meet, I watch basketball players. I, don't want, I want to be careful because I don't want to knock on basketball players. Too bad. I mean, I want to knock on them, but not too bad. Uh, I really, was, uh, I really was, in, was really interested in the journey that Michael Jordan went through. Um, I believe the greatest basketball player ever lived. Um, his identity is in basketball. And when he got a divorce, uh, I clipped out the article out of the newspaper. And his wife made a statement that was quoted in the newspaper. She said, he cannot let it go. He finds himself in basketball. <coughs> and that's true. And that's why he kept coming back, you know, eight, nine times. <laughs> he found his identity in basketball. Um, now, nothing wrong with basketball, but your identity can't be in basketball, you understand. Now, you take that and you put that up against other phenomenal basketball players, say like one of my favorites, David Robinson. And David Robinson lets you know exactly. I don't know if you know who David Robinson is. Tall, black guy, used to play for Navy, played on the Sacramento, it was Sacramento Kings? San Antonio Spurs? Okay, sorry. Well, anyway, but David Robinson, um, his identity, phenomenal basketball player, but his identity wasn't in basketball. His identity was in Christ. And you knew that. Okay, you, were, you were confronted with that. He played basketball, was really into basketball, but you understand his life wasn't about basketball. His life was about him. Okay, it was an identity issue. I want to ask you, now, this, is, this is very, very important to us. See, where's your identity? See, where's your self-worth? Now, we can become, a, and this is really tricky because I think perhaps we never really think about it at times, but you see, our identity shapes the way we view ourselves. It gives us our self-worth. You know, all of those kinds of things. I had, see, I never even realized as this passage really began to work on me, some of my self-worth comes back to, you know, masculine type of issues in my life and how I'm treated by other men and those kinds of things. And if someone cuts me off in traffic and how I feel if I don't, all those intricate details in my life. See, where is my identity? Where do I get my self-worth? See, if you don't like me, how does that make me feel? Well, a lot of people don't like me, but I get my identity from him. So I see myself not the way you see me, but the way he sees me. You get what I'm talking about here? This is really important, and why I'm talking to you about this 
is because what you see, and this is powerful, when Jesus is unveiled, when he's cut down the middle and he's opened up, you see the identity of who he is, everything you understand, the unveiling of Jesus is that which God gave him. Everything going on in the life of Jesus is a direct result of the Father. It's not a direct result of his own talent, of his own abilities, of his own power, of his own agenda, see, none of that kind of thing. See, when Jesus is unveiled, everything that's going to be unveiled in this prophecy is, of course, a, that which God gave him. Now, I really got interested in that, and I want you to flip back with me, if you would, uh, to John chapter 17. Uh, I, I kind of traced, and again, it's all over the New Testament, but uh, I traced that statement, which God gave him. The unveiling of Jesus is that which God gave him. I begin to trace that through the New Testament. And uh, I begin to find that, see again, the prologue of John, this statement before the book, it's John's perspective on the book. And John's perspective, of course, is going to come out in his own writings. And I found this perspective, and this is so neat, I found this perspective all throughout the Gospel of John. But I found it really heavy in John chapter 17. Really heavy in John chapter 17. Walk through me just with a, just a few verses. And it'll actually be around 10 or 11. But follow with me. Listen to his words in John chapter 17. John chapter 17 verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed. So this is the language he's praying to God. Listen to what he says. Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority. So you ask, where did Jesus' authority come from? You'd say, well, it came from him being God. No, it did not. No, it did not. Jesus' authority came from the Father. See, this is, gonna, this is really going to help us in terms of, there's a couple different views of holiness, even in the Church of the Nazarene. I mean, there's tons of views of holiness. But there's a couple different distinct views of holiness in the Church of the Nazarene. See, one, one view, means, uh, one view st- uh, has a statement or has a perspective that Jesus came fully God and fully man. We, everyone believes that. That's the creeds. That's what the, the, I mean, that's what, if you're a Christian, that's what you believe. Jesus was fully God, fully man, representing both God and man. But some believe that Jesus lived as a man. He had all the things that man had. He had the, uh, you know, he had uh, 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 the mind of a man. He looked like a man. He felt like a man. He had the temptations of a man. But he overcame those temptations because he was God. That's one view of holiness. That he was God, and so he had the temptations, but since he was God, he overcame those. It's one view of holiness. I don't embrace that. Okay? I don't embrace that. Because, again, that comes back to Jesus himself. And that would mean, see, if Jesus came down as the representative of us, he came down as a man, see, he had to be limited as a man. Which means, see, he didn't have anything that you and I don't have. Now, Jesus was born without sin, but sin is not an ability. Sin is a relational issue. So Jesus was born without sin. But Jesus, as Paul talks about, became flesh. He took on flesh. He took on the limitations of the flesh. Which means that, see, all the things that would distinguish, this is powerful. You want to know how much Jesus wants to identify with you and have you overcome? He overcame becoming just like you and I have become. Everything you experienced, he experienced. He took on the limitations of what we go through. Now, there's a number of qualities that we attribute to God. For instance, his perfection. God is perfect. See, we don't believe that God was perfect in terms of action. In other words, he wasn't born perfect. I mean, do you think Jesus was born potty trained? No. Anyone's a parent knows that that's not perfect. Okay? My son will change (laughs) eventually. Okay? That's not perfect. Okay? He grew the scriptures tell us. He grew in knowledge. He learned, the scripture tells us. He learned, you understand. So Jesus wasn't the kind, see, we don't believe Jesus came, and as a carpenter, he never bent a nail when he was hammering it. Well, no, perfect in will, perfect intent. He was born without sin, but he had the limitations of, he had a, you understand, he had, a, he had a fallen body, just like us. Jesus grew old. He got tired says that in John chapter 4. He was on his way to uh, Galilee, stopped off in Samaria. He was exhausted. He was tired. He had a falling body. You with me? See, that is a characteristic of a falling body. He died, okay? He died on the cross. So you understand, Jesus came and was limited as us. All the things that would distinguish him, you with me? 
All the things that would distinguish uh, God from us, he set those aside. There are certain omni qualities that God had. I don't think Jesus had them. For instance, the, uh, the omni quality of omnipresence. Okay, and that means he's everywhere at one time. Jesus did not have that. He had to foot it like everybody else did. See, you never find where he looks to his disciples and says, listen, we're going to Galilee, and I'm already there. <laughs> he never said that, okay? He had to foot it to Galilee just like they did. He had to walk there, okay? Because that would distinguish him, and you understand, those are qual- doesn't mean he's less God. Those are things, those are, those, are, those are abilities, those are things that God has, but it's not who God is. God is love. God is love. He is not omnipresent. He has omnipresence, but it's not the core of his, again, identity. You understand what I'm talking about? This is really important. So Jesus wasn't omnipresent. He was also not, um, uh, he was also not omniscient, omniscience, which means all-knowing. Well, not all-knowing. Now, I will, I will argue with you, Jesus knew a lot, but he didn't know everything. Would you agree with me if you could find one thing he didn't know? He may know a lot, but he didn't know one thing. He wouldn't be all-knowing. His disciples come to him and say, when are you coming back? What did Jesus say? Beats me. I'd have been like, ha, you're not all-knowing. Okay? So he knows a lot, but he's not all-knowing. So where did Jesus get his knowledge? John chapter 7, don't turn there. First, uh, around verse 14, Jesus shows up to this feast, begins to teach. The Jews were amazed and said, how did this man get such learning without having studied? What, did he go to night school? You know, how did he get all this, how did he get this learning? And Jesus said, my teaching is not my own, it comes from the one who sent me. So everything he learned, again, the unveiling of Jesus came from the Father. See, when you get into Jesus as a man, when you get into Jesus, who's God became man, the second member of the Trinity, who took on the limitations of man and lived out of the resource of the Father as you and I are going to live out of the resource of the Holy Spirit. Everything going on in the life of Jesus was a direct result of his father, which is why in John chapter 14, when when his disciples say, show us the father, Jesus says, listen, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. When he talks to the leadership of Israel and they say, show, you know, uh, who is your father? Jesus says, you don't know me or my father, because if you knew him, you wouldn't be able to miss me. Because Jesus is living out of, okay, Jesus is living out of the plan and the resource of his father. Jesus didn't come and do his own thing. He came and lived in response to the plan of his father. See, I really found it interesting, and I struggled through this. The life of Jesus wasn't Jesus' idea. It was the father's idea. And I began to realize that there were 300, and you can look this up yourself, there were like 333 prophecies about Jesus before he was ever born. See, Jesus wasn't born and, you know, said, I want to be born in Bethlehem. That was the plan of the father. Talked about in the Old Testament. Okay? Jesus was born of a virgin. Jesus didn't come up with that. Wasn't even born yet. That was the plan of the Father. So Jesus' life was one who came and lived in continual response to the Father. Not my will, but thy will be done. The whole garden statement. Not my will, but thy will be done. And, and he lived in continual response to the Father until at the end of his life, when you turn around and look at his life, you don't see Jesus' life. You see his life. What you see is Jesus' life, which is the unfolding of the plan of God which is the example for our life, okay? So this language, and I didn't address the last one. I'll go ahead and address it really quickly. Jesus was also not omnipotent, which means he wasn't all-powerful, okay? There's tons of scriptures that talk about this. Everything that he does, you understand, is what the, is what the Father does through him. Uh, in fact, I found it interesting that there's a couple towns he goes in because of their unbelief. He couldn't do the miracles because they didn't trust. They didn't believe, and he wasn't, you see, it was the... I find it interesting at the end, at the end of his life, um, Peter is uh, fighting, you know, and, and Jesus says a pretty interesting statement. And he says, if I wanted, I think it's in this statement, he says, if I wanted, I could call, you know, 10,000 legions of angels or whatever. Well, if he's all powerful, why would he need to call on that? Why wouldn't he just be able to, that? Okay? So he's living out of the resource, out of the power, out of the, out of the omniscience, out of the knowledge, you understand, of his father. Jesus came, God came as a man and lived as a man without sin. He lived in absolute obedience okay, to the person. He lived to the Father like you and I are to live to him. Okay? This is the example of his life. 
So when you come to Jesus and you unveil him, what you see in Jesus is the Father. Okay? It's the unveiling of Jesus, which is that which God gave him. You got that much? Okay, really important. Now, John chapter 17, this is powerful. And by the way, you're not only going to find this in John chapter 17, you find this in Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. It's been given to me. Wasn't mine. Came from the Father. Now, let's walk through this really quickly before I get distracted again. Verse 2, for you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. By the way, eternal life really didn't have anything to do with mansions in the sky. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what it is. So eternal life, heaven's all going to be about knowing Him. It's all about the person, still. Verse 4, he says, I have brought you glory on earth. Get this, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So Jesus didn't do his own work. He didn't come and say, you know what, I think I want to do this, this, and this. No, no, no. Jesus came, and God gave him work to do, so all the work that he did was what God gave him. Okay? This is the work. You go on, verse 5, and it says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. Do you realize that Jesus didn't pick the disciples, those that he wanted? He took the disciples that came from God. God gave him the names. You pick that up in, uh, in Matthew where Jesus goes on top of the mountain, he prays, and he receives the names from the Father. Okay, that's what he's talking about, verse 6. He says, I've revealed uh, you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and, and they have obeyed your word. Verse 7, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I have gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They know with certainty that I came from you, and they believe that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but I pray for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours. You kind of get the theme, what he's talking about here? All I have is yours. And all you have is mine. Okay? In other words, all that I have is yours has been given to me. Okay? It's mine now. Verse, uh, continuing on in that verse 10. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, by the way. Okay? The name you gave me. In other words, who came up with the name Jesus? You with me? Eyeballs up here. Who came up with the name Jesus? God. What Jesus' idea? So Jesus says, hey, the name you gave me, and by the way, there's another name for Jesus the Father's given him that we don't even know yet. Okay? So the name came from God. He says, protect him by the, name you, uh, by the power of your name, by the way, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scriptures be fulfilled. And there's more down in 14, your word, and it goes all the way down through even the believer's prayer, which is the end of the chapter. But it's this statement, as you begin to go through the Gospel of John, this is powerful, everything going on in the life of Jesus is a product from the Father, which tells you the identity of Jesus is not what Jesus is doing, the identity of Jesus is the Father and what he's doing. See, when you open up Jesus, you don't say, powerful miracle worker, that's not his identity. It's not his identity. See, when you open up Jesus and you look inside of him, you don't say, whoa, awesome preacher. That's not his identity. You, see, there's a difference between things that are done and the inside identity of a person. What's your identity? What's your identity? See, I, I kind of struggle with this. Because my son is going to have to know, he's going to have to realize that my identity is not ministry. My identity is not preaching. My identity is not an evangelist. My identity is that I belong to him. I belong to the Father. And if someday when, of course, I die at my funeral, if my son stands up and says, you know what, my dad, he loves softball. I'm going to rattle chains in his house for the rest of, my life, the rest of his life. Okay? Because that's not my identity. You know, my dad was an awesome preacher. That's, hey, that's not my identity. See, I want him to stand up and say, my dad loved Jesus like you wouldn't believe it, man. That guy was after the person. 
See, the identity. What's your identity? I personally believe that uh, you can't get close to a person without seeing their identity. Really what makes them who they are. Really what fuels them. Um, I think it's possible to work at a job for 20 years and no one know you're a Christian. Now, I won't look because you always have people out in the congregation who go, and some people go, I don't think it's possible. I don't think it's possible to work at a job for 20 years and no one know you're a Christian. If they don't know, because it's not hard to tell if you're a basketball fan. You understand? It's not hard to tell, you know, politically where you stand. So you stand up in a church one morning and say, hey, go Bush. See who doesn't like you. I won't do that. But uh, politically, Democrat, identity. See, really what, really what gets you, what matters to you? you see, what's, what's the core makeup of who you are? As you begin to go in uh, to the book of Revelation, back in chapter 1, you see what John says is, is again, this is the outward perspective that he's putting on the entire prophecy as a whole. He says, hey, this book here is a book of prophecy. But when you take this prophecy and look at it, what's really going on in this prophecy is that it is an unveiling of the person. And when the person is unveiled, what you're going to find that it is that which God gave him. Now, I really found it interesting. We, I, what I did was, is I went back into, uh, I went back into the Gospels. And uh, I began to walk through the life of Jesus. And everything going on in the life of Jesus was a direct response to the Father. It was the work of the Father. Jesus got his identity. Now, get this. Jesus got his identity from the Father. Now, that was why he was living. But when you come into the book of Revelation, do you realize that all that's taking place in the book of Revelation in terms of Jesus is not while he was on earth, but it's when he is in heaven. And this changed. Oh. You're going to like this. This changed my perspective of heaven. See, I, I guess I was always under the impression that Jesus became man, emptied himself of all, limited himself, became, you know, identified with us, lived out of the same resource that you and I live out of. Hey, I can't fly around in a, with a cape in the air like Superman. Jesus couldn't either. I couldn't pop up anywhere I want. Jesus couldn't either. Okay, Jesus was nailed. He got, hey, my feet uh, get sore just like his feet. My back hurts just like his back hurts. Okay, he stubbed his toe just like I stubbed my toe. Okay, I wonder, you know, he probably has sinus problems. Do you have sinus problems where you lay down and this side of your nose gets stopped up and you roll over and then this side will get stopped up? I bet he had that, okay? <laughs> See, he had the same kind of, he was man. He, he had a fallen body just like you and I. But get this. See, my perspective was is that after Jesus died and ascended, I had the idea that he went back to being God. I, I'm not coming, I didn't come into that in the book of Revelation. See, when, G, when John turns around, he, does, he doesn't see a spirit. He sees someone like a son of man. Really begin to make me go back into the New Testament as you begin to find where the, where the angel, after Jesus ascends, the angel's standing there. He says, hey, he's going to come back in what? Same way, man. Which he has a hey, new body, no doubt about that. But he's the first, he, see, well, he, he's the second Adam, okay? He is the first one on the other side to get the new body. And uh, I, don't, I forget the guy, I think it's Robinson, one of the old-time uh, preachers. If you guys are any pastors here, I know a couple are here. Uh, one of the theology books, I think it's Robinson, that you guys read in, in college. We got newer books, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> don't read into that. But um, they, he believed that uh, the only Jesus, or the only God we'll ever see in heaven is Jesus. He's the only one with a physical body. God is spirit. And as you begin to go through the book of Revelation, let me give you a couple of them. Turn with me, if you would, to chapter 5. When you, what you see in heaven is, again, now this is powerful. This is going to change your perspective of not only here. Uh, I've always wondered, especially in light of our studies, if the big deal of our life is not what's taking place here, but if there is going to be growth even in heaven, that this is just of an entire eternity, okay? Now, think about this. Think about this, okay? Jesus, in chapter 5, John is looking, 
And when you, and in, the, in, in, of course, this wonderful throne room, it says in verse 5, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, again, identity, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And Jesus gets his identity again from how he was known back on earth. So his identity doesn't come from what he has done. Again, his identity has come from the plan of God that has become expanded and fulfilled in his life. So as you begin to go through the book of Revelation, and, and you find this all the way through, uh, let me give you just a couple more in chapter 7. And we, I've got these marked all the way to the end of the book. But when you come into chapter 7, uh, again, it's the 144,000 that are sealed, and there's a lot of imagery there uh, which needs to be addressed. Um, but down in chapter 7, verse 14, uh, in response to those who are wearing the robes, um, John said, I answered, sir, you know, and he said, that is the angel, these are they who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the lamb. Again, his identity, Jesus' identity is the lamb, which again comes back from the plan of God that's been fulfilled in his life. His identity is not the lamb because he's called several different things. He's Messiah, he's king, he's high priest, he's the firstborn, see, all of those kinds of things. Here he's the lamb, but you understand that is just, that is just uh, the lamb gets its, gets its meaning from the identity of Jesus, which is the plan of God. See, lamb is plan of God type of language. That's going on even in heaven. And as you begin to go through this chapter, verse 17, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. See, that's all plan of God language. It's all plan of, uh, plan of God language. So, and of course he goes on, he will, um, he will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. So Jesus, as you begin to move through the book of Revelation, not only as a man on earth, but in heaven, lives out of the identity of God himself. When you come into the book of Revelation from chapter one, from John's perspective, you see the unveiling of Jesus Christ and everything that's unveiled in Jesus is that which God gave him. He gets his identity found into the person. He gets his identity found in the person. His self-worth, his understanding of who he is, his mission, his goal, his knowledge, everything comes from the person, okay? Comes from the Father. I want to ask you something. Again, where is your identity? Is it an earthly, now think about this, is it an earthly, temporal type of thing? Or is it an eternal purpose kind of thing? See, I can't help but to wonder that if what's going on in my life right now, the identity of who I am, see, and it's powerful. See, Jesus' earthly ministry, yeah, it was powerful, he was the lamb, but that had, that had meaning in the eternities as well. That had meaning in the eternities as well. He's going to be, my, he's not just my shepherd here, he's my shepherd there. And who he is here as the, and his identity as the father is who he is there as the identity of father. I wonder if that means if my identity as the person here would be my identity as the person there. In other words, see, if my identity was an evangelist here and I got to heaven, well, what if I wasn't an evangelist anymore? I lost... See, I would have looked back, and I don't know how you are and, and the way you look, but, or the way you process, but I guess I would look back at 80 years of ministry and say, well, that was a waste. That was a waste of time. See, if my identity was basketball, see, if my, and, and, and it makes you wonder. You see people in the church, perhaps, who spend their life 60 years in the mission field. They get to the point where they can't be missionaries anymore. It doesn't mean they're washed up. It doesn't mean they're over with. It doesn't mean, well, they can just sit in the church and wait till they pass away so they can go to heaven. See, that's, you don't retire. See, you don't retire from service because your identity is not found in what, you're, what you do. Your identity is found in the person in whom you serve. Which means that, hey, if my identity is the person here, then you understand when I get to heaven, my identity will be in the person there, and the plan that he began in my life is going to continue into eternity. So the, the, the unveiling of the life of Jesus Christ was the person not only before as a human here on earth, but afterwards in heaven as well. The identity, the plan of God is still unfolding in the life of Jesus. In fact, we hear this other places in the New Testament that Jesus is sitting at the, at the right hand of God interceding for who? 
that's his ministry. That's his plan. He's still the shepherd. He's still interceding for us. And that's in the heavenly realms kind of thing. See, I wonder, imagine this. I wonder, I wonder if everything in our life, I wonder if everything in our life, if we viewed it in the perspective of eternity and the person, I wonder if that would change the way we view certain things as they take place in our life. I wonder if I put things, uh, and again, I don't know what really gets under your skin. Uh, Maybe it's me. But what gets under my skin is my truck. Okay? I I, I hate that. Which is probably why he keeps letting me have problems with my truck. Although I'd I'd have more problems, you know, if I'd afford. But the idea is is that I have have a Dodge truck, and I've got problems with my truck. I wonder if I viewed flat tires in the perspective of eternity and his plan. I put those in the perspective of really what God has created me for, which is not just a little puny little temporal thing on earth, but the entire overarching plan of God that's going to be in eternity. I wonder if I put that in the, in the scope of eternity and his plan. I wonder if that changed the way I looked at that flat tire. I wonder if it would change the passions, the activities, the hobbies, the way that I treat my body, my bodily drives. See, I wonder if the, if, if the identity in my life was not just glued to a temporal thing, was not just glued to, well, I'm a carpenter. Well, I'm a teacher. But if my identity was found in the person, which again, is, see, it's not just a temporal thing, it's an eternity thing, I wonder if that would change my daily living. See, I wondered if you were a teacher. If you could get your, if you could get your eyes focused on your real identity, which is the person, I, I bet you it would change the way you would go to school and teach. See, you'd be here. And the DS would show up, and uh, he'd ask the pastor, so uh, you have anybody called to ministry? And the pastor would say, you wouldn't believe it. We've got 70, no, we've got, how many people go to your church? Two, we've got 200, that's impressive. We've got 200 full-time ministers here. DS would go, that's impressive. Well, I talked to that woman over here. She, she teaches at the local high school, and she'd say, that's just my cover. That's just my cover. I'm really ambitious. <laughs> that I go in every day, and yeah, I teach while I'm there, but that's not why I'm there. My identity's in the person, and I'm in the... See, I, I, boy, it'd be horrible to spend 70 years of your life or 50 years of your life or whatever it is working at a job for money. Wouldn't it be horrible just to live for money and work for money? Why do you go to work? Well, I hate it, but I go there because we've got to pay the bills. Who'd want to live like that? Why do you go to work? Oh, my identity. I talked to this guy in Indiana. I won't tell you the church. He was, uh, he was in his 50s. He was getting ready to retire. And I just, it was wonderful. Um, I heard he, he was surrounded by these old, they're all old timers. Okay? They'd all retired except for him. And he's really upset. And, he, and it was, uh, I was dipping in their conversation. And uh, he's like, it never fails. It happened again. I guess he got, he would, he changed positions about every two years. And every position he changes to, he always gets stuck by what he calls these young whippersnappers and their bad language and their, and their rap music. And that's how he's talking. And, and I just can't stand. I can't wait till I get out of there. And I just, and, he, and he'd begin to talk about he'd switch positions for the last time. He was going to retire in about six months. This was his last change. And wouldn't you know it, he got stuck by another one. New kid coming in. And, uh, of course, he never gets stuck by a Christian I just wanted to walk over and tap on his shoulder and say, do you think that's by chance? That you get stuck with a guy for eight hours a day and you can just yak Jesus in his ear for eight hours a day. That you got that guy in the identity of your, you are a missionary there. And your mission field, again, see, we don't go to heaven and say, well, what did you do with your life? Well, you know, I punched nails in a board. (laughs) That's not what we're about. See, my cover was punching nails in a board. My real identity was found in, hey, I'm working for the kingdom, man. And I was an undercover missionary down at my job as an engineer, as an accountant, as a scrapbooking store person. However you want to, I, I am a missionary in my life. You've got to get that. Because when Jesus Christ is unveiled, and again, I don't know if you're seeing this as significant as I do. When Jesus Christ is unveiled, see, his identity doesn't come down to, yeah, I was king. And he is king, but his identity comes down to the person. 
His identity is not found in, yeah, I was, I was a really big healer. Yeah, you didn't notice that kind of stuff? Yeah, really big healer. That wasn't his identity. Those were things that he did. But his identity was found in the person. Everything came back to the person for him. See, my identity is not evangelism. It comes back to the person. Where's your identity found? If I were to slice you open and rip you open on the inside and take a look in there, what would be your identity? Would I see Jesus? Or would I see, I've really been looking for $35 an hour. That's what I've really been looking for. Would I look in there and see, well, you know, uh, I'm sorry, I really love football. Think about it all day long. Well, if I cut you open and looked on the inside, would I see a certain bodily drive that rules your life? Is that your identity? Fame, fortune, money. See, what makes you tick? Because you can cover that up with with religious things. You can cover that up with activities in the church. But when you slice Jesus open down the middle, all you see is that which God gave him. That's phenomenal. It's the unveiling of the person, and everything unveiled in Jesus comes back to him. You want to know what I want in my life? Not that I've got this perfect, perfected, but I'm dying more in my life every day. I want when Jeremiah is unveiled, when Jeremiah is cut down the middle and he's opened up, I want to see inside of myself that which God gave me. And anything in my life that does not come from him, just remove that thing. Just take that and push that aside. Because I want the very identity of Jeremiah to come back to the person. That everything going on in my life is fueled by the person. Not fueled by money. You know that's possible in ministry. See, I can take the churches that pay well, or I can take the Nazarene churches. See, really, whatever ones that... No, I'm teasing you. See, I can... Really... There's gigs out there that pay $5,000 a speaker. See, what's going to be the identity when you go to a church? See, what's going to be the identity in the structuring of your ministry? Open our eyes tonight, Father. Always feel like I don't perhaps present it adequately enough. The unveiling of the person of Jesus in the book of Revelation. All that is seen is that which God gave him. It was true while he was on earth, and it's true in the eternities. I'm never going to outgrow you, Jesus. My biggest fear is that I'm going to be a Christian long enough where I don't have to lean on you like I've always leaned on you. My biggest fear is that I'll go to revival and it really won't be for me, it will be for other people. In fact, I sit in the service and say, boy, I know who needs to hear that because I've, you know, I've outgrown that kind of dependence upon you. I'm perfected. You don't need to deal with me on anything anymore, really. Just waiting to go to heaven. I believe we are practicing here for the dependence that we will have for all of eternity. That in eternity, I will finally be given over to ultimate sanctification, complete death in my life, till everything in my life is ruled and sourced and driven by you alone. And I'll be one with you. Your holiness will so dwell in my body, I'll have no resistance left in me. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. That's uh, that's really costly. Is the way I would like to say it's really costly. Ultimately, I'm not an evangelist and living on the road because I want to. Ultimately, I'm an evangelist living on the road because he wants me to be on the road. And the grass is always greener on the other side. There's wonderful things about living on the road. There's wonderful things about settling down. When it comes down to it, it's really not into my opinion, really not into what I want. Are you able to look at him and say, hey, Jesus, I want to ask you tonight, very pointedly, 
Not going to spend a lot of time on this. What is your identity? Is it your looks? Is it your popularity? Is it your personality? Is it your job? Is it your ministry? I, see, I don't want my ministry to be my identity because when my ministry is over, well, then I have to find a new identity. See, what if my identity was just a person? And everything unfolding in my life was the result of the person. Sure, I preach, but that's not my identity. My identity is the person. Everything going on in Jesus' life was the result of the Father. It was his identity, both here and in eternity. I want to give you the opportunity to respond tonight, just briefly. And I want to plead with you. If there's anything in your life tonight that is not if it's not resourced by Him, if it's not brought about by Him, if it's not some, if you know absolutely that He's not a part of it, that He doesn't want it in your life, you need to respond. One of the most difficult groups we work with are good church people. Because really it's not about being good. Because our identity is not about being good. Our identity is about being His. Let me give you the opportunity to respond. Father, we love you. We thank you. We want to seek you. The unveiling of your Son revealed that everything in His life was from you. I want that so bad. I can't stand it. And I fall. I feel so fall short of it. I, I, fall, I fall so, so short of it. Bring me back to you where everything in my life, I want to pray the prayers that you would pray. I do. I want to pray for healings that you would pray for. I want to be healed in the areas you want me to be healed in. I want to be able to say authentically, not my will be done, but your will be done. I want to take my son and hand him back to you on a platter. I don't want to handle him, man. I don't want to push my dreams on him. Could my son even be that which God gave me, truly? Use him for your purposes. I don't want to control my wife. I don't want to manipulate her. I don't want to dominate her. Could it be as the head of my household that you have placed me in her life to serve and pour out my life to help what's being blossomed in her life? You have created her for a purpose which is bigger than me. Fulfill your purpose in her life, Jesus. Let me be there used in that process. Use me in your way. Could my life be an absolutely total response to your will and your plan? Not only here, but can I have an eternal response, an eternal reliance? This is our prayer tonight. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Do you need to respond?